Hello and welcome to Where Many Have Gone Before, the podcast where I, John D. Ruddy, watch Star Trek for the very first time. This podcast was kindly sponsored by my supporters on Patreon. If you wish to support this podcast, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash John D. Ruddy. Also, if you'd like to help this podcast, you can leave a review and give us a little star rating and whatnot on Apple Music and uh, the various platforms. It helps this podcast show up for other people who are in search of a Star Trek podcast or indeed any kind of new podcast. This week, our special guest is Mr. Niall McDonough. He has returned. Well, he has returned to this podcast. He is still in New Zealand, sadly for me. Uh, But he has returned with new and improved audio quality. (laughs) Yay! Uh, Which is great. Always happy to have Niall on, especially when we can hear him clearly. The episodes we will be talking about today are This Side of Paradise and The Devil in the Dark. Also, as we are approaching the end of this season one, please let me know how soon you would like to see a season two. I want to produce these, but they do take a lot of time and a lot of effort. So the more demand there is for where many has gone before season two, the quicker I might get started. Also, support on Patreon helps. Let me know what you think on Twitter at John D. Ruddy and use the hashtag where many have gone before. Enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome. Today we have another different special guest. Well, it's another different special guest. We've had him on before, but it's not Michael Eddy for a change again. It is Mr. Niall McDonough. Nielsen, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Not too terrible. Not too terrible at all. Not too bad. Not too bad. What have you been watching these days? I spent my weekend watching Hamilton. Ooh. Just just all weekend. Over and over. Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. 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 Finally actually getting I, to watch it after being obsessed with the soundtrack for the last three years. And- I actively didn't listen to the soundtrack. I think I got about three or four tracks into it years ago. And I was like, no, do you know what? I want to watch this. And so I finally watched it. And yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, yeah, like it's, it is it is fantastic. I can see why it was so successful. Some of the politics in it are very... Um, I wish this is what history was like, but uh, but at the same time, but at the same time, I loved it. It was excellent. But sure, but sure you know the message, the the good message is being spread now. So you know, use your platform when you have it. Don't get me wrong. I have I have I have no problem with with something highlighting things. Like I mean, you know, I make animated history videos. I don't claim to be the the last line in any of it. And if anything, my animations are for getting people into history to get people to look more into it and i think that has been happening with hamilton as well hopefully yeah i mean realistically like you know if people really look into the history of it they'll realize that they didn't sing most of the time either yeah that's very true <laughs> that's very true. except well except for uh, james madison he was he was always singing he sang entirely through the medium of song yeah voice of an angel well too. i mean technically any, anyone sings through <laughs> the medium of song <laughs> you know what anyway, i mean anyway, anyway star trek yeah star trek yeah um so this week, we will be talking about This Side of Paradise, episode 25. And it was directed by Ralph Sineski, teleplay by DC Fontana, and story by Nathan Butler and DC Fontana. 
I really liked this episode. It reminded me, it was it was kind of like a different flavor of Return of the Archons. Did you watch that one? Return of the Archons. Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. Just in the way of it's another, it, this episode felt like another thinly veiled commie bash episode. Yeah. And uh, like you know, mo- most most of these, I've I've been really enjoying the the science fiction, the the social commentary, and a lot of the things. Even if some of the politics is dated by today's standards, but just the oh, I just hate that s- the the straw man communist thing of going. Oh look, everyone's happy, but it's like, but are they really happy? But are they really? Whereas in this case, like, well, well, kinda, yeah, yeah, I know. Funny that we'll get into it. So, the episode opens, uh, the Starship Enterprise is approaching Omicron City 73, and Uhura is sending a signal to this planet, but there's been no response. There's 150 people in that colony, apparently, and what they have since discovered is there are Bertold rays, which are these... I'm not sure, do they exist in real life or are they just makey-uppy for the show? But still, Bertold Rays in the Star Trek universe, they can disintegrate animal tissue in no time at all. So the Enterprise is going to this colony to see if they can salvage, rescue any of the hopeful survivors. But they're, they're they're not optimistic. But they are not optimistic. This is very true. Like, Spock is just sitting there going, yeah, no, Bertold Rays are deadly. From a quick Google here, they're also completely fictional. Ah, there you go. There you go. Who's to know sometimes with Star Trek? Technobabble. So, McCoy, a biologist, Kirk, Spock, Sulu, and a couple of other lads beam down to the planet, and they find an abandoned farmyard. But no sooner are they going, oh, no, they're all dead, when... Bunch of farmers show up, Elias Sandoval being one of them, and he's like, hey, welcome. No, we're, we're, we're all still alive. And they're all wearing these green overalls. Uh, so a big shock horror. They're, well, not, not so much horror, shock yay, that uh, they're all still alive. They've not heard from anyone in four years. And Kirk is surprised to find survivors despite Bertold Rays. He's like, what's going on here? McCoy is traditionally sarcastic. Oh, of course. Good. I could be wrong, but that guy looks alive. I know, right? And so him, so Kirk and the crew just sit there arguing for ages about whether or not Bertold rays are deadly. And then eventually he comes out with a great line. He's like, look, we're debating in a vacuum. Let's go get some answers. I'm like, yes, yes. Leadership. It's like Twitter all over again. No, no, Twitter, Twitter would never be that coherent. Oh, I know, right? So, uh... We're then introduced to Layla, who is a botanist, and when Spock walks into the room, we discover she knows Spock. She knew Spock from Earth, and she uh, there's all sorts of dramatic close-ups, which are pointing very much to the fact that, oh, was she an old flame for Spock? And of course, Spock's infectious energy is just exuding from his <laughs> lifeless face. So it turns out that the people living down here, they have few mechanical things. Um, they're very much, they're, they're similar to the, the Amish or the Mennonites. They're space Amish. Yeah, pretty much, the space Amish. And uh, they're they're living very simple lives. Um, so Sulu and a blue shirt go out nosying and looking for answers. And there's no animals. There's a big barn, but it's for storage. There's no animals. And they're like, what's going on here? Meanwhile, this creepy plant, we don't actually... 
see it turn around and, and I like the way this is shot like in, in one shot this little flower is pointing away from Sulu and then it cuts to the blue shirt checking in the door and then it cuts back and Sulu's walking away just in time but the plant is then pointing at Sulu I love uh, things like that where you're, where you're made to question yourself going did that did, did that move did, is, is that different second time around I love I love things like that it was like uh, have you watched The Haunting of Hill House no actually oh my god God, get on it. It is amazing. I, I enjoy horror movies, but I'm a bit of a wimp and I can never like convince myself to actually sit down and watch horror. I'm always like, when oh. I'm watching it, like, this is great. But at the time, the, the yeah. lead up to it, I'm like, oh. Well, know. the stories and the character drive it so well. Like, it's super freaky, but it is so compelling. But one great detail about it is throughout the whole show, there are random people like random ghosts in the background that you may or may not notice and so like there'll there'll be two characters having a conversation in the kitchen and you know if your eye wanders to the left you realize that there is a figure standing behind the door and you're like oh oh oh," you know it's and they're not doing anything they're not drawing attention to themselves they're just there or like the camera pans from one place to the other and it just glazes past and you just see a person standing in the corner and you're oh oh, it's so good highly recommend it that hasn't that hasn't convinced me to watch it at all yeah oh no (laughs) highly recommend it um once again now i was saying this to michael the last day um spock was referred to as a vulcanian i think it was in court martial um, he was referred to as a Vulcanian. And once again, we have this phrasing pop up again. So is this the writers still not being able to settle on, are we calling them Vulcans or are we calling them Vulcanians? I mean, I, I would, I would go with that. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I mean, I, I mean, like, like I said before, like I haven't seen tons of Star Trek, but I've kind of been exposed to Star Trek all my life, except for the original series. And this is those two episodes are the first time I've ever heard Vulcanian. Uh, yeah, there you go. I've ever heard Vulcanian be used, or at least that I've noticed anyway. Yeah. So it turns out, so Layla is reacquainted with Spock, but it seems that Spock has no feelings to give. Yeah, it's like his whole deal, man. I know, right? Man of mystery. Interstellar man of mystery. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> you just imagine Spock. Yeah, baby. And so... <laughs> McCoy, uh, meanwhile, has been inspecting the entire colony and they're all healthy. They're all super healthy. And Spock is also noting, he's like, where are the animals? There are no animals. And at this point, I'm wondering, oh God, are they pod people? Is that what's going on here? I wasn't a million miles away. I wasn't a million miles away, but still. Um, Turns out the soil is great. Moderate climate all year round. Um, they can grow anything there and yet they're not growing more than they need why why are they only growing what they need and this is a point that just really really annoys me in a you know capitalism versus communism thing particularly in this day and age now where we are living in a world where we're clearly you know we're producing more than we need but by doing that we are damaging this environment so much and it's this attitude here it's you know why are they only growing as much as they need why aren't they growing more to make more money you know like it just it it annoys me so much you know as i know i know i'm a businessman i know i'm making a business out of my little manny man character that i make and i i I get that 
But at the same time, just this this whole idea of oh, that's that's a waste of land. Like all of that land could be good. All of that land could be nice. Like a friend of mine, he owns this absolutely beautiful estate from high up on a hill all the way down to the river. And he's got farmers on either side of his land. And his estate has beautiful forestry, gorgeous meadows, tons of wildlife. And it's his own personal little place to just chill out from the rest of the world. And all the farmers on either side can see is that's a waste of land. We could be growing something on that. And it's like there is stuff growing on it. There's life on it, you know. And yeah, it just, it really gets to me. Yeah, I can't really argue with it. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, it's, it's, but it's just one of those things that you, you, Again, you have to look at it in the context of the time. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah. but 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 that's what I mean. Like it is like it's just such a capitalist perspective. It's such a thing of that needs to be utilized in the best way possible as opposed to can you not just appreciate it for what it is and how beautiful it is. I mean, the irony of that is that in the future in Star Trek money doesn't exist. So Yeah, this is very true. <laughs> this is very true. Oh well, actually, that that's that's a detail that I didn't know. Actually, funnily enough, spoilers, yeah, Nile. Oh no, you've you've seen no, you've seen First Contact. Yeah, but I don't really remember yeah. it, and to be honest, I've been actively trying to forget anything that I've seen. It's not a it's not a big deal. It's not yeah, I know, deal. I know, I know, I know. But 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 still, but still, I'm not trying to think of it. Um, but I suppose just from even from a, an Irish, my knowledge of Irish history, the perspective of in the 16th century when the English were trying to take over Ireland and they were looking at the way the Irish farming system and it was that same thing where they were just like but we can run this land so much better we have so much better technology we have so much better knowledge and how to run these farms and get so much more out of your land and the Irish were like well no this this, this is the way that we do it and it works fine for us and it's 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 like here we got two three year olds and one one of the three year olds has this really really cool toy with all of these like buttons and gadgets and gizmos and all they're doing is like just waving it up and down going cur 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 and the other three year old is sitting there going I could be playing with that in a much better way. I want that toy. They, they shouldn't have that toy. They don't deserve that toy because I know how to play with that toy properly and they don't. And they ultimately just take the toy off the other kid and they're like, see, this is how you're supposed to do it. That's, yeah. That kind of sounds like me and my nephew on Christmas when he's more excited by the box. And I'm like, no, but your toys are so cool. <laughs> exactly. Niall, you big imperialist. <laughs> so McCoy finds records and... It turns out people aren't just healthy, but they're more healthy than they ever were, including there are people who have had their appendixes removed. Sorry, appendices removed. That's the correct, <laughs> correct plural for appendix. They're, they've had their appendices removed and the appendices are now intact, which is uh, very bizarre. Is it not just is it not just a singular appendix? Oh, oh it's, it, oh, it's one person who has had their appendix removed? It's, it's Sandoval, is it not? Oh, fine, fine, fine. I just wanted to get fancy and use the correct plural just, just, for appendix. Wanted, yeah, you just wanted to show off, John. Yeah, shut you up, now. Shut up, now. Why did I ever ask you onto the show? God damn it. 
Uh, <laughs> so I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> just ask you on and then bitch about ca- capitalism come on Niall get with me here so turns out there's no insects and yet pollination happens what's going on there and funnily enough the show doesn't actually end up explaining this in the long run we, so that right enough you know it doesn't act unless unless people just actively go around and pollinate each plant which is technically possible i mean you know but it's a lot of work i mean but they're not they've got nothing better to do and so layla is with spock and she's avoiding answering how they all survived she's they're being very coy about this and she is super into spock so kirk offers to bring them all up to the enterprise but elias refuses he's like no we're happy here this is this is fine they're all vegetarians as well, so that's that's why there's no. So it's it's like it's so weird. Like they're all they're all vegan. They're vegan, yeah. So it's it's really weird that they're presenting this really perfect world. And to be honest, I'm really finding it difficult to see an argument against it. I mean, their ultimate argument is, oh, there's no passion, oh, there's no, you know, anger, there's no and it's like not, not, not that I, not that I would want to suppress anger or something, but like a world where anger isn't needed, isn't that not, you know, like, like it, it sounds, it sounds really enticing to me, uh, you know, oh, um, but uh, what was I going to say? There was something else. Yeah, it, it, it was it again, again. I'm going capitalist bashing again. It reminds me of this uh, this thing I was reading where it was like this billionaire walks past this little farmer, or uh, a billionaire walks past this little fisherman, and the fisherman is has his feet up, he's lying down, chilling out for the day, and the billionaire's going, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm chilling out," and he's like. But don't you have fish to catch? He's like, I've already caught enough fish that I need. And he's like, well, why don't you go out and work hard and you can catch some more fish? Because then you can buy a bigger boat to buy more, to buy better technology, to buy more boats, to hire people to go out and catch your fish for you. And and the and the fisherman's like, I'm I'm what I'm what should I do then? It's like, well then you buy an entire company where this entire company works for you, so they catch all of the fish for you. And he's like, Yeah, and and then what should I do? He's like, then after all of this is done and you've made all the money in the world, then you can sit back and chill out and enjoy life. And the fisherman's sitting there going, What do you think I'm doing right now? Like, you know? Hmm? Oh dear, yay! So <clears throat> you see, I I do see, I see where you're coming from there, but I mean that it's like they're saying like against there's no anger, there's no violence in this place, but there's also no exploration. Yes, you know they're all happy to just sit there and not leave, and you know yeah, just stagnate forever and ever, which is which is fine. Yeah, but also you know exploring and stuff. And I know there's no ambition, and uh, you know I'm I'm not coming out as an uh, an all out communist because I am aware, yes, that pure 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 communism there doesn't seem to be any kind of ambition, and like that's fair. I mean there there is there is no perfect system. Although I quite enjoy socialism, I, th- I think I think so, so, socialism works a bit better than capitalism. You know when people are bailing out people as opposed to banks. 
Um, and corporations. Come on, John, focus, focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can, we can do this. So, Le- so Layla brings Spock to. Wait, you see, the reason why I'm going on about this is because literally two episodes prior to this, they were bashing commies in a different way, and I'm just like, guys, you've you've already done this. Yeah, but John, it was '60s America bashing commies is like. It, it was their whole deal. In fairness, I suppose there were entire series devoted to bashing communists. We're getting away lightly if they've only yeah. got two episodes of it. That's fair. That's fair. And as I've said in previous episodes, I denounce all of the terrible things that were done in the name of communism because they were terrible, terrible things. Good save. Yes. So Layla brings Spock to these flowers to introduce him to the spores. And the spores, the flower just for want of a better term, ejaculates all over Spock and Spock is hit with the... Sp- you could have said sprayed. Yeah, but it was more of an ejaculation motion than spray. I mean, spray is just very consistent, whereas ejaculation is just a sudden... And that's what happened, Niall. And so Spock has an intense reaction and Layla, for a- an instant, is like, oh no, have I broken Spock? She's like... it. It it was it wasn't painful for all the other people, and Spock was like, "I'm not like other people," because this is Spock now discovering his emotions. This is Spock coming to terms with his emotions, and he comes out of it, and he just looks at Layla, and he's like, "I love you," and it's like, "Oh wow, it's really interesting to see Spock with emotion," and he kisses Layla passionately, and. Then Kirk is Kirk is just um, Kirk is then ordering to remove the colonists. He's like, no, I want landing parties to come down. We need to get these people off this planet. Spock is now in these green overalls, and again, this is what I mean. This this episode in particular is even more overt, and it's this is communism. You know, like the green overalls oh, yeah. are just so. Yeah, you know, it's 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 like in it's like in Hunger Games yeah. whenever she goes to the resistance or whatever you call them and it's like oh they're all wearing the same thing these drab thing it's like oh communism but yeah blah anyway so Spock is now appreciating clouds and what one of which it looks like a dragon and He's like, have you ever seen a dragon? She's like, no. And he's like, well, I have on like Bandolier 7 or whatever the planet was. I'm like, wait a minute. Dragons exist in Star Trek? Dragons exist? Oh my God. I want to see that episode. And oh, I, I hope I hope someone somewhere has brought that dragon to life in a later episode, either the original series or next gen or somewhere, somewhere, somewhere. I hope that, that we see dragons. I don't think I've seen a dragon in Star Trek, but as I said, there are large ho- there are large holes in my in my experience. Yes, Spock admires the rainbows, and he knows scientifically how they are formed, and yet he has never been able to appreciate the beauty of them. Uh, so it's very interesting. Yeah. It wasn't even a double rainbow. Yeah, all the way across the sky, so intense. <laughs> so Kirk get, uh, gets in touch with Spock, and Spock is super sassy to Kirk, and Kirk does not know what to do. He's like, you know, Spock, are you coming? And he's like, nope. And Kirk is, ju- nope. Kirk is just, he's he's so used to, he's so used to, particularly Spock being reliant on Spock, and he's just like, this this isn't what Spock usually does. It, it's very entertaining. 
Kirk. Kirk is really good in this episode for a lot of reasons. So, um, and and then Kirk even says to McCoy, he's like, uh, you said you might like him if he mellowed a little. And McCoy's like, I never said that. And all of a sudden now Spock is super mellow. Um, so now Spock is climbing trees. He's like dangling off trees. He's like Forrest Gump. Jenny taught me how to climb trees. I taught her how to dangle. When, when I was watching this episode, I was all like really on board. Like, oh, this is quite serious. Like, oh my God, what's going on? Oh, wait, wait. Sassy Spock, what's going on? And then it cuts to Spock hanging from a tree. And it's like, oh my God, it's the giant rabbit from Shore Leave all over again. Yeah, yeah, it just gets bizarre. <laughs> so uh, folks present McCoy with a plant. They're like, here, take this plant. And it is, it's very Invasion of the Body Snatchers-esque, you know, where they're presenting people with the pods and they're like, here, take this, take this plant. It'll do you good. And and then, ooh. Kirk is taken aback by Spock. Spock is then under arrest. He's like, yeah, no, Spock's under arrest now. Take him away. And Spock's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of fair, I suppose. <laughs> you know, he's just pure casual. I love it. <laughs> but then all of a sudden... All the lads are hit with spores and Kirk, for some reason, is not affected. And I'm not sure at this point, like, is Kirk actually hit by the spores or did they miss Kirk? But whatever happens, Kirk is not affected at this point. And it is, yeah, it's very Invasion of the Body Snatchers-ish. And so they beam up loads of plants onto the Mm. ship, which is so smart. Like... Oh yeah. This this was one of my ve- this was one of my complaints about very early Star Trek, and they f- thankfully got got out of that habit for a while. But they tended to beam stuff aboard the ship without properly checking whether or not it would completely destroy it. And we're kind of back to this a little bit, yeah. but at the same time, there are people under the influence here. You know, so there there's a slight excuse for it, but still. Oh no this this time it's entirely intentional. Yeah. Is it not Spock has them start doing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Yeah, it's fair. So Kirk gets back onto the ship and Uhura is infected. Um, she has short-circuited the communications. So there's no long-distance communications. The only communications with the planet. And these flowers, I just must say, they are so fake looking. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a TV show from the 60s. Fair enough. But like... They look super fake. Um, but still, but still. As, as we discover, these spores have been traveling around the Enterprise through the aircon system. And so they don't have like a filtration system aboard. Like the Enterprise is one of my biggest qualms with this entire show. It is such a badly designed ship. It is so bad. Like, it has gotten hijacked by people capturing the engineering room twice. You should not be able to do that. Anyway, so the crew are all lined up to the beamy uppy room, ready to uh, ready to get beamed down. And Kirk is like, where are you going? And they're like, oh, we're all going down to the planet. And he's like, no, you're not. And they're like, yes, we are. Uh, yes, we are. And he's like... This is mutiny, mister. And he's like, yes, it is. It's so casual. And still not sure why Kirk isn't affected at this point. McCoy has become super Southern. He's talking all about Georgia and having a nice Georgia mint julep. And he's constantly calling him Jim Boys. Like he's, you know, and 
the 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 extra family member of the Waltons, and um, he, uh, they're all wearing green overalls, and I'm just like, oh, communism. So the spores seem to thrive on Bertolt rays, and in response to that, they give human bodies super duper health, which I think is a fairly decent symbiotic relationship. You know, I mean. And, but then, of course, the argument is made. Kirk is sitting there and he's saying, but man stagnates with no ambition, which I do agree with. You know, I mean, I, I, I would not quell ambition. However, that being said, ambition has also done a lot of damage to the world. But then again, so has complacency. So, you know, everything in everything in balance okay. John John the fact is without 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 ambition you and I would not be making a podcast about a TV show right now this is very true we'd be just sitting back and watching it this is yeah. very true this is very true that's me putting my... or would we because without ambition who would have made the TV show John uh-huh. who would have made the TV yeah I know I, know. Uh-huh. I get it I get yeah, it just blew your mind so the Enterprise is deserted and Kirk is lonely on the bridge. He's just sitting there on his own and he records a captain's log. I'm pretty sure this is the first time we've actually seen him record a captain's log, which is kind of cool. You know, before this, you've only ever just heard it in voiceover. Kirk is marooned here because they they can't get away. You know, he he needs a crew to crew the ship. He can't just pilot it himself. It's a really nice performance. It's you know, he's just so lost. I always love it in those rare times when you get to see Kirk as being vulnerable. I think Shatner is at his best acting-wise. So, uh, yeah, Kirk is sitting there and he's like, I don't know what I can offer against Paradise. And then, finally, the spores hit Kirk and he has joined them. So, I, I don't... Yeah. I, I still don't get why it took that long for the spores to hit Kirk. I mean, yeah, like, is it just suggesting that he just has the... He's like Bruce Banner. I'm always angry. He just has this undercurrent <laughs> of strong emotion all the way through, which which is fair. And maybe... Oh, yeah, maybe that is the case because now it is when he is despairing that he is sitting there going, I don't know what I can do anymore. Well, that's what I was going to say because when they hit him the first time, He's pissed off with Spock. Yes, this is true. And when he's on the ship the whole time up until then, yeah. he's pissed off with everyone. Yes. So so now it is in his moment of vulnerability. It's just when he lets his guard down and yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. That's fair. So Kirk packs his bags. He opens up a safe and looks at his medal. And it's interesting, actually, like just the little keypad safe. It's like, I would imagine in the... In the 60s, that would have been super high-tech, but it's like, yeah. that's just what safes are nowadays, which is, is interesting. It's one of those in every hotel. Yeah, exactly, every hotel room. But then Kirk begins, to, just as he's getting into the beamy uppy room, he begins to fight against it. He's like, I can't leave! And it turns out, violent... Um, Hulk smash! Exactly. And uh, turns out violent emotions, anger, uh, help to reject the power of the spores. And of course, you know, once again, because, and I, and I love this, this is the thing that breaks Kirk is that when it comes, when something comes between him and his ship, and that is something that 
has been probably one of the strongest through lines of this entire series is Kirk's devotion to his ship and nothing will come between him and his ship and when something does come between him and his ship he gets super pissed (laughs) did you watch the enemy within by the way good kirk bad kirk oh yeah yeah (laughs) oh it's so good it's so hilarious yeah i quite enjoyed that one i am captain kirk i am kirk so kirk is coming up with a plan and he's kind of worried because his plan is about goading spock into getting angry but the problem with this is and this is something it's been alluded to in the past but here it really outlines it very well is that vulcans are a lot more powerful than humans physically which was something i didn't necessarily realize until now that they are a lot more physically strong a lot more physically powerful so kirk gets spock to beam aboard alone and kirk starts calling him names he's calling him half-breed he starts insulting his parents he starts insulting vulcans he gets really mean he gets really mean he gets really personal and like he starts saying how the vulcans were traitors and I'm wondering, like, ob- like obviously he's goading him on, but I'm wondering where does that come from? The, um, the fact that the Vulcans are traitors is there? Is there some element of truth to this, or is there something that I I I read that as Spock being traitorous to Kirk because he's mutinied. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Maybe I have misread it. I'm not sure. I was I was a lot more like direct line yes and that's fair so spock at this point now is super riled and spock gets violent and he starts you know throwing punches and and he's ultimately snapped out of it kirk is sitting there going whoo i am glad i survived that you know and so they have a plan uh, that they're going to create a supersonic transducer thing or whatever they're going to call it and um What's this? A sonic transducer. That's what they use in Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> the sonic transducer. <laughs> we'll seduce you. So uh, Spock on the way out, he says, uh, striking a fellow officer is a court-martialed offense. And Kirk is like, if we're both in the brig, who will build the supersonic transducer thing? Which I very much enjoyed. So Spock is going to beam Layla aboard and Spock rejects her. And she cries. And... Spock has responsibilities to the Enterprise and it turns out then that this heartbreak has wiped off the spores from Layla. It's a very sad scene. Very, very sad. Because like, not only is he rejecting her, not only is she heartbroken, but her ability to be super chill and super happy is also wiped away at the same time. So it's like a double punch. And... um, it's yeah it's really sad and you really feel for her welcome to depression you haven't felt this in a while yeah and she's like this is for my good and i was like oh this is so sad and it turns out as well spock has another name which i am intrigued about and he simply says you couldn't pronounce it so i can't wait i hope some sometime somewhere Mm. we discover what spock's full name is maybe we will maybe we won't Maybe it's still a mystery. Maybe it's not. Yes. I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah. So, turns out this uh, supersonic sound thing pisses everyone off. Because the idea is, well, I mean, they can't go down and individually pick a fight with everybody. So, they use the supersonic device to 
piss people off and everyone starts fighting. This is, I mean, is this, has this been weaponized in the past? Because this is a very powerful weapon right here. Like, there are so many things that they invent, that they develop in these shows, that it's like, yeah, they use it in this one instance, but now that technology, like time travel, for example, like that te- that technology is there now for people to use if they so want to discover it and use it and misuse it. There's a lot of questions. I mean, to be fair, time travel, there's a lot of time travel in Star Trek. You'll learn. This I didn't know. I mean, I, I was aware that there was an element of, of time travel in Star Trek, but I didn't realize that it was as it was it was there almost from the word go like very early it was the, the naked time it comes up a lot yeah it comes up a lot yeah i didn't realize that so i'm i'm super intrigued by that but i think it was the sonic transducer the the thing to make everyone angry is shows up again have you ever seen kingsman the secret service yes actually yeah it's basically the same thing it's the that. same thing that's yeah. true that's very true oh yeah that that's a great scene, actually. It's um, Freebird, isn't it? Is used in that scene. Freebird in yes. the church. Oh, yes, it's brutal, but yeah, wonderful. I must watch that film again because I only half watched it last time. I watched it. I was in the middle of. Um, we were doing a theater tour of Frank Pig says hello, and I was making some presents for the director and my co-star, and I was putting little costumes on um, these little fluffy stuffed pigs and so i was in the process of sewing when i watched kingsman yeah it's it's a lot of fun so elias or elia elias whatever his name is he snaps out of it and he realizes we've done nothing here no accomplishments three years wasted and again i mean he's not wrong but I, I, I just don't like the sentiment that living a small, quiet life is a waste of time. I, ju- I just think that's deeply insulting for a lot of people who do enjoy living a nice, quiet life. Like, how many people look at Lord of the Rings and go, oh, isn't the, isn't the Shire just amazing? Isn't Hobbiton just a great... Aren't the Hobbits just great that they can just sit and chill and have a nice... But then at the same time, I mean, the the whole story is based around the hobbits going off and having a grand adventure and seeing a much larger world. But then at the same time, they come back home and they're like, ah, this is lovely. I love this. You know, I, I just, yeah, I, I, I get the point the show is making. I just feel in a similar way as to what Return of the Archons did. It's very much straw man, boogeyman communism. Again, it was 60s America. That was their whole deal. Oh, I, I know that, like Niall. I'm well 90, aware of that. like 90% of what they did. You just gotta, you know. I'm well aware of that, Niall. I, I just, <laughs> I don't like straw man arguments. And particularly this one, where it seems so idyllic. And yet, at the same time, and, and yet, like this ideal, even though, you know, it's called, referred to as paradise so many times. But also, think about it like this. These people were explorers who had all of their ambition taken from them, more or less. Because when mm-hmm. because when the spores yes. are gone, they get that drive back. You know, they weren't happy and peaceful of their own volition. Yeah. They were essentially, they were, for all intents and purposes, pod people. Oh, yes. The, yeah. They did not consent to the 
spores spreading. That is that is true. That is very true. Um, yeah, that is true. It. I mean, yeah, it is. I and don't get me wrong. I do love this episode because I suppose I'm being a bit unfair on it that. It isn't clear cut. The fact that we are able to debate this and we are able to talk about this hmm. is actually a sign that no for the show isn't as black and white as all that. <laughs> yeah. To t- 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 tip my hat to this episode. Anyway. Um, so so the colonists now want to be relocated. Because obviously they can't survive there because of the Berthold rays anyway. And they're relocated to Starbase 27. And as a result, everyone is in perfect health, which is totally convenient. Kirk is wondering now, you know, maybe we weren't meant for paradise, which is a very mixed message because on one hand, it's, I suppose on one hand, it's realistic in the way of, yeah, life isn't ever going to be perfect. But then at the same time, it's like, we shouldn't strive for paradise because it's not achievable. I don't know, maybe more a case of maybe not settling for one that's just given to you and continuing to strive for it instead. Yeah. I mean, like, they did seem super happy. <laughs> like, this is the thing. This is, like, they seemed super content down there. I mean, yeah, yeah, they, d- they didn't consent to having their ambition stripped away. That's That's fair. That's fair. But, yeah, they did seem super happy down there. So, so Kirk is talking, you know, maybe we can't stroll to the lute and we march to the drums. And Spock then, very tragically at the end, he says, for the first time in my life, I was happy. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, because again, because that has since been taken away from him. And he didn't consent to that being taken away from him either, did he? No, he didn't. But yeah, he he was already under the influence of the spores. Alright, I was about this. They were essentially, yeah, they were essentially all just really high for three years. And what's wrong with that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Anyway, anyway. Overall, I did really like this episode. Very well done, very well laid out. And, um... Yeah, you know, I do I do have my problems with it, but it was a very good, compelling story nonetheless. And it had some excellent character moments, particularly from Kirk and Spock. Agreed. So, episode 26, The Devil in the Dark. Directed by Joseph Pevney, written and produced by Gene L. Kuhn. Oh, this episode is good. Yeah, this is a very good one. This episode is real good. So, very dramatic opening. We're in a mining colony, as it seems, and there's a bunch of lads down in the mines, and they're looking for someone. Whatever it is, there's a monster of some kind. It has killed 50 people already. The stakes are high. And they're saying the Enterprise is on its way. And I have to say, this was a really nice change in perspective, because everything is always... up, Up until now, as far as I can remember... Everything always starts on the Enterprise. And it is the Enterprise. We are going here because we have received a distress signal. Or we are going here because we are the FedEx of the Federation. Fed. Federation X. And, um, uh, but it's really nice to have this change in perspective where these are the, the, the people on the ground who are 
waiting for the Enterprise and go, oh, the Enterprise is on its way. Um, you know, it's 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 almost like, you know, seeing the people on the ground looking up at Superman, you know, it's 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 cool. I like that. But also it's a pretty dark opening. Oh yeah. So it's... basically most of them leave, leave this one guy on his own. Uh, what was his name? Schmitter, uh, which is a great name. And then they've left him alone for literally five seconds and we get the most cliched shot it's this point of view shot going up and we see this vague silhouette um encompassing schmitter and he's like no and they literally use the same shot for three different characters obviously it's the three different actors but they reuse the same style of shot for all three deaths and it's ridiculous I just bit my tongue. Oh, that sounds fun. And uh, they are burnt to a crisp. It's funny, I was like, shots like that when I'm watching something like Star Trek, and we look at them now and we're like, oh, that's such a cliche. But was it a cliche then? Was it, it had to start somewhere. Was it already a cliche then, though? Yeah, this is true. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest, I would have been happier with it the once, but the fact that they reuse it two other times... Yeah. That's what made it very worn for me. I, I, I thought, like, like using it one a bit. Okay, that was cheesy. I like it, but then it's like you, you can do something different, guys. So it turns out it is a Pergium production plant on Janus Six, and Kirk beams down to chat with Vanderberg, who is the guy in charge there, and they have just opened a new mine. And this whole planet is a treasure trove of elements of platinum, uranium, etc. But and and I'm very much getting elements of the dwarves delve too greedily and too deep. Who know what they awoke in the darkness of Khazad-dûm? It's uh, yeah, very uh, yeah. And and the deaths, the deaths started down in the deep, but the deaths have been moving up the levels of the mines as well. So damn Balrogs. Serious Balrog vibes. And as it turns out, the, the the actual monster isn't a million miles away from a Balrog. It's like a baby Balrog. Like it's it's like a, a Balrog's turd, perhaps. <laughs> well, uh, we went in really different directions with that. We really did, didn't we? <laughs> um, so some other guy called Ed, he shows up and he's like, I saw the beast, I shot the beast, but it did not thing to the beast. And shooting didn't slow it down. And Spock is holding a big orb in his hand. And it's a silicon nodule. And it's, this, uh, it's an oddity. They find loads of them. They don't know what they are. And, I mean, I suppose our well-versed science fiction fantasy heads on us. I, like, oh, instantly yeah. I was like... That's an egg. That's an egg. That's an egg. They have stumbled upon the nest and they have disturbed it. And the mother is coming to protect their nest. And so, uh, and yeah, that's that's pretty much what it is. You can literally, from, from that point, you can literally see like the entire episode play out the moment you see him holding that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But now, that being said, it didn't play out exactly the way because how, yeah, yeah. We'll, 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 we'll get to it, but Kirk's reaction was brilliant. And I think it's what makes this episode so good. So... People are burnt by acid. Spock tracks the attacks on a map and it's moving so fast. He can't get over just how fast this thing is able to move. And he's wondering, are there multiple creatures? And I'm not, I can't remember. He may have said this before, but this is definitely one of the first times he has said the line, no life as we know it. And I'm like, ooh, 
That's a that's a Star Trek staple right there. Even if it is from I even if I do know it from one of my least favorite songs ever. It's life, Jim, but not as we know it. Oh, damn it! I keep getting that song stuck in my head when we're doing this podcast. I hate it. It's all right. You'll be uh, you'll be off the original series sometime next year. Yeah, but see when we get to there's Klingons on the starboard bow. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die because that's my least favorite line of that song. Maybe you'll learn to love it after this. No, I really won't. I really won't. I hate it. I hate it. I hated it as a kid, and I hate it now. Oh. Have you listened to it again? Like, again? Like, recently? I have listened to it, and I I did have a new appreciation for the structure of it as it went on, but that was about it. <laughs> that was about it. So, another dude dies, same way, pure cheesy, and this thing has burnt through the wall of the reactor. An alarm goes off, and it turns out that... It has taken the regulator. So at this point, it's already presenting. This thing is intelligent. You know, it it has gone in and actively, you know, like it hasn't just gone in and, and done something random. It has gone in and taken this regulator. So it clearly has an idea of what it's doing. And the problem is this is an old reactor. So there are no replacement parts for this regulator. So it's it's good writing. I like that. And, and again... We're kind of getting into, I think, what ultimately Star Wars perfected was this idea of a lived-in sci-fi universe. That this reactor, as high-tech as it is to us in the past, it's old technology to them. And there are no replacement parts. I really like that. I thought it was a nice detail. If this reactor goes on without a regulator, then it could kill the entire planet. So Scotty thinks that he could make a spare part, but it's not going to last all that long. And there's loads of different star systems that are reliant on this planet for the mines. So the the stakes are fairly high. Spock then has a theory that the life is not based on carbon, but based on silicon, which is quite interesting, which explains why phasers had no effect on it. And at this point, we're introduced to the idea of phaser one and phaser two, which I think is really interesting. So turns out phaser one isn't strong enough, but phaser two bit more. should have an effect. So that's cool. Wasn't the... Do you remember the terrible movie from the early 2000s, Evolution? I loved Evolution. It's awful, but I loved it. Were they silicon? Yeah. Wasn't that... Wasn't the life in that based on silicon? Possibly. I remember it was a major plot point that it was life based on a different element and because of that because they tried to like kill it with fire or something hold on there is if i google a picture of the periodic table because i can tell you that the thing they use to defeat them is selenium yes and they do that because they basically look at the periodic table and they look at the distance that arsenic is from carbon yes like that makes well, actually, to be honest, I don't know if that makes sense or not. I assume it is complete BS, but I'm not a... It definitely is. 100% yeah. is. God damn it, I'm a uh, podcast host, not a chemist. Okay, no, it wasn't. They're nitrogen-based. They were nitrogen-based. Yeah. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but which yeah, which explains why they flourished so much in our atmosphere, because our atmosphere is predominantly nitrogen-based. I feel like that may have been a plot point. There you go, yeah. I mean... 
The thing that I hate about that movie so much, and I mean, it kind of irked me a little bit then, but, you know, I was about 14 years old, so I didn't quite fully grasp the concept of evolution. But just the whole idea of evolutionary inevitability that, you know, where they're like, oh, they, oh they're, they're on dinosaurs at the moment. And then later, oh, now they're on, now they're on primates. Oh, oh, they're on oh no, it's getting bad. Where it's like primates aren't an evolutionary inevitability. There are, well... I don't think there are evolutionary inevitabilities, or at least so, so there are some things like I, I think like eyeballs have evolved independently. I think six different times on the tree of life. And like there are certain things like limbs or d- different things that seem to uh, develop independently. But the whole idea of intelligence, I don't think that's an inevitability. I mean, the, like our level of intelligence. How did it take this long? to to develop i mean like the the dinosaurs survived for millions of years without any of our intelligence you know like obviously they lived and they died but their species maintained for millions of years and here we are and here we are only a couple of hundred thousand years on this planet max and we have destroyed the place like wrecked the gap you know there are worse things about the movie evolution and their complete lack of understanding of evolution. Yes, that is very true. And we should stop talking about that movie completely right <laughs> now. So McCoy McCoy says that silicon-based life is impossible. And at this point, it's like, McCoy, are you serious? Like, how, how long have you been on this space journey? You know, whenever you can't work out what is possible, the impossible may very well be possible. Just roll with it, McCoy. And so they suggest that everyone should be armed with Phaser 2. And I love the way that they refer to it as well. Like, they're not, uh, you know, Phaser 2s or, you know, two phasers or number two phasers. They're called Phaser 2. It's it's like the way Steve Jobs referred to iPhone. You know, when people use iPhone, when people, use, you know, like they don't, it's not, it's not an iPhone. Like, officially, it is iPhone. I have iPhone. It is an entity. Yeah. You know, and it's like, Steve, stop trying to make iPhone happen. It's not going to happen. We're calling it an iPhone. And that's that. <sighs> so, um, again, I'm sitting there going, the orb is an egg. Th- th- it just is. And then, so the monster is hunting for them, a nest. It's like, th- th- that is what has happened here. It's very clear. So the machinery found thousands of them. And Scotty has sort of fixed the reactor at a... A, a temporary fix. Kirk has this wonderful moment with him. He's like, you know, just do 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 whatever it takes. You know, kiss it, flatter it, keep it going. You know, it's it's really funny. You know, Kirk. Yeah. I feel Shatner has really relaxed into Kirk at this point in the series. Like you can just see now, he just is Kirk, and this episode in particular, I just find. He's so casual with Kirk. And I think it's great. I think it's so natural. Even, you know, as over the top as Kirk can be, like, it's 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 a brilliant performance. Believable. Yeah, very believable. Kirk has a whole line of red shirts ready to go and hunt for this monster. And I'm just like, oh, God, <laughs> they are dead. <laughs> you know, it's like, gen- gentlemen, many of you will not be coming back. It's like, oh, uh, many of you will die. 
but that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. What's that out of again? That is Lord Farquaad in Shrek. Ah, yes. Yes, that's right. So Spock and Kirk are down in the cave and Spock's sensors, as he likes to pronounce it, sensors, uh, set to pick up silicon and he's detecting movement. And the wandering red shirts, they all die the same way. Again, another shot of the guy, the cheesy death. And then the creature cut this tunnel. They find this whole bore through the wall. And so the creature has cut this tunnel. It cuts through the wall and we see it for the very first time. And I literally have written down here, ah, lava slug. This is a big giant lava slug. And funnily enough, it's similar to how I always imagine the blast ended Scroots from Harry Potter and the Goblet of yeah, Fire. That's what I thought too. That's what yeah, I thought too. There you go. Like, I mean, t- I think technically they're much more inse- insect-like. Or I, I think because I because I, I then looked up like what do other people think blast ended scroots look like and they're more kind of scorpion like but I always just imagined this big blah of lava, um so that's funny so so it it, it crawls away like on one hand it's so hokey because like you can see it's like literally a guy under a big fancy rug just crawling away but at the same time it's really well done and it's. Like the 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 design of it, the way of it, like on one hand it's cheesy, on the other hand, I think it's really effective and I totally buy it. So they shoot it and they've like actually shot off a little chunk of it, and it seems to be made of fibrous asbestos. And I'm wondering, is this before people realized how (laughs) how dangerous fibrous asbestos was? Like, guys, you better be careful about holding that thing too close to your face. You could get a really bad case of pneumon ultramicroscopic silicovolcanoconiosis. How long did you practice that? Uh, Several times. Be be honest. Oh, I I, I learned how to say that years ago. I remember reading it in the Guinness Book of Records. I was like, I'm going to learn off how to say this and find an excuse to use it in a sentence. And I always do. I mean, it's 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 a it's a much longer term that, uh, for asbestosis, but yeah, human atomicscopic silicon volcanoconiosis. <clears throat> so, have you ever learned that big long Welsh term? No, I tried learning it, and I was just like, yeah, it's it's was it linguistic? No, I don't know it. I know it ends with go go go. <laughs> Uh, but I must, I must try and learn it again because you see, at least with pneumonotromicroscopic silicovolcanoconiosis, it makes sense. You can break it down in English words. So, like pneumo, lungs, nultra, I don't know, microscopic, obvious, <laughs> silico, volcano, coniosis. You know, you, you, you can break it down, and so it was relatively easy to learn. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to whatever it is. I, I was actually there. It's it's on Anglesey, and uh, we drove past it when I was on my honeymoon. I was like, "Oh, we have to go there!" I know it. And so I saw the sign, and it's <laughs> hilarious. Um, nice. Yeah, it turns out this thing is a very fast tunneler. There's nothing more dangerous than a wounded animal. And at this point, we're still questioning: is there more than one creature? But no, it just turns out there's one. Uh, it's the only survivor. And Spock is sitting there going, "No, you, you, like to kill it is a crime. It's a crime against science." And I really like this dilemma that they are in. But Kirk is sitting there going, well, I have to protect the colonists. And Spock agrees. I mean, you know, this is what I like about Spock too. He's he's like, yeah, that is logical. I get that. You know, whereas Bones is so much more emotional. I just, I love the, 
the dichotomy between Spock and Bones with Kirk in the middle of them, I, I just think it's really good. And at this point, I'm, j- I'm just sitting there going, just return the egg. Oh, my God. And Spock, you know, because at this point, I think it was a, I thought it was a case of just just one, but it's more than that. So Spock is briefing all of the people and he's like, you know, we, we, sh- we should be able to potentially capture this. And Kirk is like, uh, no, shoot to kill. Again, another line used in Star Trek. We come in peace, shoot to kill, shoot to kill, shoot to kill. Um, Kirk sends Spock to help Scotty. Uh, he's like, look, just just go go help Scotty. Go do something else. And Spock is like, but Scotty is much more knowledgeable in nuclear physics than I am. And Kirk is just trying any excuse to get rid of Spock. And he can't. Like, Spock just completely outlogics him where he's like, Logically, I am going to have to stay here. He's like, the odds of both of us... Because uh, Kirk is like, look, if both of us die, then that's a huge loss to the Enterprise. He's like, yeah, but the odds of both of us dying is like 2,000 and something to one. He's like, okay there, 3PO. Which I really enjoyed. I was like, there's no way he can realistically know that. So is Spock just bullshitting Kirk so he can stay? Um, What's to say that Spock doesn't have some kind of super logical way of working that out because they've only had one very short encounter with the monster they know very little about it and there's too many variables to really know the odds yeah but maybe he's basing because i mean he spent most of the episode studying the previous attacks and so maybe he is basing this knowledge on the frequency of the attacks where they were where they were spaced out and going by the logic of look if we split up if it gets one of us, it's not going to get another one of us, you know, before it goes through another 2,000 of us. I know that's not how those odds actually work, but you know what I mean. I, you know, I I don't think he was bullshitting there. So, yeah, so Scotty can't fix the reactor. Vanderberg is refusing to leave. He's like, no, this is this is our mine. We're going we're, we're gonna to stay here. And then Spock stops. He's like, Captain, we are being watched. And I'm like, oh, from the bushes, straight ahead. It's all right. I've got to go now. One of my favorite scenes from Jurassic Park. It's amazing. Clever girl. Clever girl. And if you, fun, fun fact, if you watch that scene where she's running to the shed, she jumps over the same tree, I think, two or three times. Yeah. Kirk and Spock separate down two tunnels because they're ultimately going to converge. So they're like, yeah, we'll cover more ground that way. Logic. <clears throat> Kirk found the nest and well, at least he has found loads of eggs all over the place and the slug collapses the cave on Kirk. Spock has a theory. He tells Kirk not to damage the nodules. So at this point, I'm like, Spock, just say it out loud. I've worked it out. They're eggs. Just say, don't touch them. They might be eggs. It's easy I to think say. That was the thing that annoyed me the most about this episode is that Spock clearly figures that out quite early on. He and does and says nothing. Doesn't doesn't share with the class. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like for no for no apparent reason other than just in case he's wrong, he doesn't want to look like an idiot. Yeah, I oh that's a very interesting point. Is is there a layer of Spock's vanity that is getting in the way of him telling people? Ooh. Hmm. That's a side of Spock I have not seen. Either that or it's just bad writing. <laughs> so, Why not both? Yeah, why not both? A wizard did it. So 
the slug melts through the wall. I don't know. Is I, I have a funny feeling that this effect was one of the effects done in the redux of the 2000s because it seems very advanced oh yeah it, it was as far as i remember yeah yeah i i, I, I would sure be curious to see what that looked in the original i'd say it was probably more of like a cheesy dissolve or something but uh but yeah, yeah. Uh, but still it's cheesy and impressive at the same time so it is clearly afraid of kirk's phaser and yeah, and I have noted here, really cool movements. Like even though on one hand you see that it's someone crawling about under a rug, it's also really cool. Like it's really unnatural at the same time and very alien. And I really like that. Uh, so Spock is like, kill it. And Kirk is like, no, wait a minute. And I love, I love this switch in position where Spock is now the one saying, no, you should kill it. And Kirk is like, well, actually... It isn't threatening me. I mean, I'm I'm holding it at gunpoint and it's wounded. And I love this. I'm really impressed with Kirk's character at this point and it has really made me respect him a lot more. Kirk talks to the slug. And at, at, at this point, I'm calling it a slug because I didn't know what it was actually called. And Spock arrives and Kirk is like, no, 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 don't shoot it. So Spock decides... Spock, Spock does the mind meld. Yeah, so Spock decides to mind meld with the slug. And I love this nonviolent approach. I'm so glad that this episode turned into this. So Spock mind melds with it and he has very intense performance and, and all he can feel is pain. And then the big slug burns into the wall. No kill eye, which on one hand is thoroughly impressive that it is able to write this in very clear writing but at the same time it can't phrase it correctly <laughs> you know i mean yeah baby baby steps john yeah baby baby steps but like perfectly formed letters you know hats off to that i think i i want i want to say that there is a, a heavy metal band named after that no kill eye, <laughs> no kill eye. a star trek heavy metal band that is it rings a bell Oh, actually? Yeah, hold on. I really think there is. I don't know if they're Star Trek themed or... Oh, that's funny. It's it's like the Nerf Herders. Or uh, Oakley Doakley. You ever heard of them? No. A Ned Flanders themed metal band. Oh, that's funny. I hope they have an entire song about... I'm Dick Tracy. Take that, Prune Face. Oh, look, now I'm Prune Face. Take that, Dick Tracy. Oh, look, now I'm Prune Tracy. Take that, Dick Face. (laughs) Uh, Yet No Kill Eye is a Star Trek punk rock band that's been around since 1993. That is amazing. That's just like the Nerf Herders. That's pretty awesome, yes. Although I, although I don't know if the Nerf Herders are actually Star Wars uh, themed, but they definitely have a great name. Mm-hmm. So it turns out that this creature is called a Horta. Uh, and so they call McCoy to come and heal it. And meanwhile, Vanderberg is waiting with his gang. And, you know, they, they, they just want to get in and kill it. At this point, I'm like, this is like Avatar, <laughs> with all the, the corporate miners waiting outside. And they're just like, can we not just go in and kill it? And that'll that'll be it. Get our unobtainium? Yes. I don't know why people have such a problem with that name. You know, because if if it's a mineral that we have discovered, you know, people can call it whatever they want. All, we, all, all, all you have to accept is that whoever named this particular mineral was really silly and sarcastic as opposed to blaming the writers for that. Like, I have very little problem with the name Unobtainium. You know, in the same way, I don't know. you know, it's like, well, Adamantium, 
like adamantium. Adamant literally means strong and steadfast. You know, you don't see people complaining about adamantium. Or it was named after Adam and the Ants. I was literally about to make that joke. You beat me by a second. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm, I'm proud of us. Or vibranium. You don't want to know what vibranium is named after. Hey. Well, why isn't vibranium uh, called... Uh, why, why doesn't vibranium have a Wakandan name? Huh? Hashtag colonialism. <laughs> I think it's referred to as the gift in Wakandan, I think, isn't it? Something Certain, like that. But I don't know if that's like the name or just like a nickname. A nickname for it, yeah, yeah. Vibranium. So Spock mind melds again and he is shouting, Pity the thousands, devils, chambers of ages, altar of tomorrow, murderers. So again, I'm just sitting there going, right, get to the point where we reveal that these things are bloody eggs. Oh my God. You know, it's like in Hellboy 2 where they find this mysterious map and it is clearly a map of Ireland. And like, obviously, yeah, we we as Irish people recognize the shape of Ireland instantly, but it's not like it's a tiny obscure island off the coast of Ireland. It is the island of Ireland, and at a glance at any world map, you could clearly just hold it up and go, oh, that's what it is. It's Ireland, as opposed to, we're going to have to put this into our super secret database of mysterious islands to find out what it is. Meanwhile, you're just sitting there going, get to the point where they figure out that it's Ireland. Like, oh my God. Uh, I haven't actually seen Hellboy 2, but... What? Yeah, no. Oh man, watch it. It's excellent. Never got around to it. Yeah, I've heard great things. Just never got around to it. My my major problems with it are that uh, their pronunciations of Prince Nuada and Princess Nuala, as opposed to uh. Nuada and Nula. But, you know, that's, that's cultural appropriation for you whenever a Mexican guy uses a, an American studio to create something based on Irish mythology. But... Yeah, and apparently Doug Jones actually speaks like an ancient Celtic thing, which does not sound Celtic in the slightest, but apparently it is. It's just not amazingly pronounced. Um, But yeah, apart from that, it's an excellent (laughs) film. It's an excellent film. I love it. And it's a sin that they didn't get to make a third one because there's clearly a third film in that trilogy in the mind of Guillermo del Toro. Um, So... And again, we get, uh, as as Kirk is telling McCoy to heal him, he's like, I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I love it. I love it. Uh, and Spock again, cry for the children. Yet we get it. It's eggs. They're all dead. We get it. Just get to the point. So the Horta tells Kirk where the regulator is. And the miners want to kill the Horta and... Eventually, finally, at this point, it's revealed that it's eggs. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Wait, what? They were eggs? I know, right? I'm shocked. So it turns out the Horta is dying. And the miners attack Giotto, who was the the officer, red shirt, who was holding them back. And the miners come running in. Turns out that the hatching only ever happens every 50,000 years, which explains why the miners haven't come, come up against them until now. And this is just a defensive mother. What I love about this is they realize, you know, it's not a case of, okay, we're going to leave them be or we're going to, you know, they actually come to a compromise, which I find really interesting. So they realize that they could work together with the Horta because their big complaint was 
we have all of this uranium and whatever, what, all, all, all the other stuff in this planet, that platinum, that we can't get at because our mining technology isn't good enough. Meanwhile, you've got these Horta dudes who can cut through this stuff like butter. So as long as it doesn't descend into a very problematic slave system, then I think this is a very positive outcome. Hmm. Everybody's, everybody wins. And then it turns out McCoy healed the Horta with cement. Oh, that's my favorite thing. Which is just hilarious. I think that's my favorite part of the episode, where he's just like, oh yeah, I just threw some cement. I'm just trialing cement in there. It's, it's fine. <laughs> oh God. I mean, yeah. We'll, 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 we'll just take that as it is. So Vanderberg is really pleased. Uh, the Horta loves Spock's ears, apparently, um, which I thought was really funny. Yeah, because um, Vanderberg was saying, yeah, these, these Hortas are... Because now all the, the baby Hortas have hatched. And he said, yeah, these Hortas, they're they're disgusting to look at. But, you know, once you get used to them, they're fine. And Spock is like, funnily enough, that's what the Hortas said about humans as well. Except for my ears. And, and of course, Spock didn't have the heart to say that his ears are not a part of the human genome. <laughs> and uh, it's also really funny because Spock is so subtly flattered you could just see it I mean he's, he's just kind of quietly like oh he liked my ears so because of this Kirk thinks that Spock is becoming more human which I love this and of course Spock upon hearing this is deeply insulted <laughs> no need to be me yeah oh, I love it I love it this episode was great and I loved how it thought outside the box. I mean, as much as I could tell the twist a mile away, I suppose, you know, as I said at the very start, I suppose this kind of story has become such a cliche in science fiction and fantasy that... You know, you know. Oh, they have stolen the holy idol. They have stolen the baby. They have stolen this. You know. Oh, all they're looking for is their child. All they're looking for is their stolen eggs. You know, like that. That's it's it's such a like they they literally did that in Jurassic Park two and three. You know, where they take the baby T Rex in two, and they take the Velociraptor eggs in three. And I've literally just made that connection right now. Uh, I was like, why is this so familiar? It's Jurassic Park 2 and 3. But I mean, any like, the, 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 the interesting thing about Star Trek is that if any sci-fi show runs for long enough, it's going to rip off Star Trek, including Star Trek. Yeah, this is very true. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like Simpsons. Simpsons did it. Star Trek did it. They all apply. Yeah, this is very true. But uh, yeah, I love this episode. I love that they managed to come to a compromise at the end, that it wasn't... Uh, you know, okay, we're gonna leave. We're gonna leave them to it because, as much as I am an anti-imperialist, I am a pro cooperation. And as long as people are cooperating, I'm and both sides are benefiting equally from this. I'm all for it. And you know, because because like um like a lot of people kind of think about the likes of cultural appropriation and how oh it's a bad thing. It's like. Well, no, it, cultural appropriation is how culture develops and adapts. It's more of a question of who is doing the appropriation and how it's being done. It's cultural appropriation versus cultural misappropriation. Yeah. Like, you know, for example, it's because it's, it's something that I've been thinking about 
the YouTuber Lindsay Ellis has done a lot of stuff on this and she's done an entire episode about cultural appropriation and it's excellent. And she kind of struggled to think of an example of American culture depicted outside of America by non-Americans. And uh, she gives an example of it's a it's a Bollywood film and it's so over the top and ridiculous. And like this is India's interpretation of American culture. Uh, which is quite interesting. But um, I was thinking about like different forms of Irish cultural appropriation. And obviously you've got the the obvious terrible examples like Darby O'Gill and the Little People, which oh, I despise and all that paddywhackery nonsense. But something that I was thinking of that is a relatively kind of, you know, neutral to positive cultural appropriation is if you think of The Legend of Zelda, over the years, The Legend of Zelda, particularly in later games, it has borrowed, it's borrowed a lot from a lot of different cultures, but um, particularly the one that I'm thinking of is Skyward Sword, where it borrowed a lot from Irish culture. Like uh, the character Fai, who embodies the Master Sword, is essentially dressed as an Irish dancer. And like, even if, you know, if you think of the cultural themes of that whole thing, it's all about fairies and people wearing green and different things like that. It's very... Irish adjacent and so it's just quite interesting to see elements of Irish culture and Irish style taken by a group in Japan and reappropriated in that way and it's really interesting it's you know same in uh, Wind Waker where the music in particular is so Irish very 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 Irish you know like the opening theme you know it's played on whistles and fiddles and uh, I think yeah there, there, there's there's even bagpipes in there um, so it's very very Celtic uh, in that way um, but uh, yeah how did we get to cultural appropriation who's to know one day, one, one day I'll play Zelda you still haven't played them oh my, now that being said I still haven't played Breath of the Wild which apparently is amazing uh, but I don't have a Switch so I'll get there I'll get there at some point yeah, I've I've heard great things. Zelda is supposedly the greatest thing ever. Well, I mean, it wouldn't say the greatest thing ever, but I mean, it is great. It is very great, very very great indeed. And on that note of speaking, absolutely nothing to do with Star Trek. <laughs> that was our episode for this week, folks. Niall McDonough, as always, thank you so much for joining us. How can people find you if they want to find you? You can find me on Instagram at NiallMcD90 if you want to see, like, just pictures of New Zealand, essentially. That's that's all that's really going on there at the moment. Um, I always want to find pictures of New Zealand. Yeah, it's a lovely place here. We're really having a good time. And Excellent. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Niall underscore Mac underscore Donna. And uh, again, just, you know, give us a wee follow. We'll have a wee chat. It'll be a bit of crack. Yeah, because he's so much more enthusiastic than he is right now, folks. Just, just t- 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 take my yeah, word after, for it. After a few pints, certainly, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's 11pm here and I have to go to work in the morning. Come on. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And on that <laughs> note, folks, we shall leave you to it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, folks. Don't forget to rate us on Apple Music. Give us a little whatever. I mean, if, if you want to give us five stars, that'd be amazing. But, you know, it's, 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 it's up to you how many stars you want to give us. You can find Niall on Twitter at Niall underscore Mac underscore Donna. That is N-I-A-L-L underscore M-C underscore D-O-N-A-G-H.
And you can find me on Twitter at John D. Ruddy, as well as YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and, well, I just said Twitter. Instagram, what else is there? Twitch, and I'm forgetting one. Patreon! You can go and support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash John D. Ruddy. If you enjoy this podcast, please spread the word and let other people know the joy that is where many have gone before. This podcast was hosted by John D. Ruddy with special guest Mr. Niall McDonough. It was produced and edited by John D. Ruddy and the theme tune is by John D. Ruddy. And as they say in the world of Star Trek, live long and black lives matter. <laughs> <laughs>